Well, as they're leaving, um, I would just like to say hello. Uh, a number of you I saw last week or the week before. My name is Mike, one more time. And uh, I am filling in for Rob Jacobson, who did a wonderful job at the announcements. Um, we'll tweak a couple of things if you want to do those again. But we'll work on that. Um, Rob, uh, as he explained, uh, had shingles, or kind of has shingles. And so um, it has been, uh, certainly from my perspective as well, it's been kind of nice to see Rob having to take a break, even though maybe it was one that he didn't want. But uh, if you know anything about church plants, the pastor kind of works one of those you know, 70 to 80 hours a week and um, also having a family. So it was nice to see him having to take a break. Hopefully this will help him to uh, have some confidence. I know he does have some confidence in the church that, that we can kind of come together as a community as so many people have done. It's, it's been really nice to see. Uh, our series that we started a few weeks ago is called All In, Fierce Follow-Through in an All-Talk World. And we are looking at it from the perspective of Joshua. That's the scripture that we've been talking about. And two weeks ago, we started with kind of the very beginning of Joshua's leadership. We started by kind of asking the question or, or watching Joshua just kind of start to answer that question of, am I going to be brave or am I going to play it safe? And fierce follow-through is all about being brave. And we watched as Joshua kind of took on the mantle of leadership, and he took it on after you know, Moses had passed away, and Moses had been the man for so long, and Joshua kind of had to take his direction from Moses, and no matter what he did, he always had Moses there to kind of bail him out. Well, then Moses passed away, and now it was kind of put on Joshua to be the person who would follow through and bring the Israelites into the promised land. So then last week we find Joshua needing to, to look at Jericho a little bit and to figure out who was in Jericho, kind of like what the people were, and if they had a really big army, and if they were ready to be basically, you know, kind of destroyed by the Israelites. And so they were just kind of waiting, and militarily they wanted to see what it was like. So Joshua sent these spies in. And as I kind of was describing last week, it was kind of like people going from, you know, Wisconsin over into Minneapolis, of course, the promised land. And, uh, and by the way, I was corrected last week, it is indeed not the Mississippi River they would across, but the St. Croix. I get that coming over from Hudson. Um, but as they were moving over, they had to go in and they had to see the territory. They had to kind of see the lay of land because Jericho is that one stop before they go into the promised land. So they had to be able to get Jericho. It was kind of like the last big line of defense before all the land of Canaan would be taken. And so as these spies went in, they met an unlikely ally. They met Rahab, who didn't know them at all, only knew that they were Israelites. And as they went in and they kind of took some shelter in, uh, in her brothel, because Rahab was a prostitute, they basically found her and they had to trust her that she would come through and that she would protect them and that she would not let the people of Jericho come and take them because, of course, the king had found out. And in that ally, they not only made an ally, but certainly Rahab's life was changed. Her whole family was able to live, as we're going to find out later on, because she was able to make that connection, because she felt that stirring in her heart that the one true God was with these people whom she then had to protect. And in that way, she was an ally, but her life was changed. 
And so we kind of, you know, you kind of have to think to yourself, who are, the Ra- who, you know, who are the Rahabs in our lives? Who are the people that maybe we need to reach out to? Who aren't going to be reached unless we put that hand out? Well, now this week in Joshua 3, what we are looking at is we are looking at the time for the Israelites has kind of come. And it is now going to be their opportunity to move over the Jordan and go into the promised land. And that's where we kind of pick up the story. So I'm going to start reading. If you have your Bibles, if you want to open to Joshua 3. In my Bible, it's on page 294, but I don't know what your Bibles are like. But that's about where it is in mine. So starting in verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. I'm going with an alternate pronunciation this week. And went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. So all of the Israelites are camped at Shittim. They are waiting. And of course, the Jordan is their last obstacle. The Jordan is the place where they have to cross over to get to the spot where then they can start taking advantage of that which God has given them. Certainly Jericho, but then, of course, moving on into the Promised Land. And as we read through here, we kind of see some things. Number one, they have to wait for the Ark of the Covenant. Once they see that Ark of the Covenant, then it is the time. And that Ark of the Covenant is kind of symbolic of God, so they're kind of going to be waiting on God there. So now we read in verse 5, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Now at this point, by the way, the Lord hasn't been speaking. This has been Joshua, and this has been Joshua telling the people what they're going to do here. So now the Lord speaks, and the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now at this time, as actually we're going to kind of find out, this is flood stage for the Jordan. So the Jordan at, at certain spots geographically is not that wide of a river, but at flood stage... It, it's coming pretty quick. It's not like you can just walk across it. There would need to be some effort to get over this, this river. Now, the priests are being told to step in the water. They have the Ark of the Covenant. This is their symbol of God, and they're being told, and they're going to be told, to go ahead and stand in the water. This is going to be an act of faith, and we'll come back to that in a little bit here. Previous to that, all the people are told to consecrate themselves. So the priests have to go ahead and step in the water. Everybody else, all the Israelites, with which for all intents and purposes, you can kind of see between anywhere one and a half and two million people, they're all going to be told that they have to stand up, they have to be ready, they're going to come over, and they're going to have to wait for that Ark of the Covenant and for those priests to step in that water. Now, they were told to consecrate themselves. And again, I'm going to come back to this in a little bit, maybe explore this a little bit more, but... To consecrate yourself basically meant to make yourself holy or to make yourself pure. And there were a number of things that were involved in this process. Uh, washing of your clothes, bathing, abstaining from, from uh, sex. These kind of things help to make them not necessarily just physically pure or clean, 
but it was more of a spiritual cleanliness. It was more of kind of a preparation for God to do something. So consecrate yourselves meant something to the Israelites. So moving into verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. And by the way, just a note there, um, if you count, there are seven groups. And seven is kind of a big number in the Bible. Seven kind of, in a lot of different places, that was symbolic of being complete. So what he's saying there is, you know, the Lord obviously among you is going to clear out all these people completely. So you will be able to follow God, and God will complete um, what he has before you. So verse 11, See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Now, that's kind of a big deal. And for Joshua to tell them this, it's an even bigger deal because, of course, now, you know, obviously God told him this would happen. But Joshua now is putting himself out there and telling people this is what's going to happen. He's kind of telling them in a few minutes, or actually a few days, once the priests step in the waters, they're going to be cut off. Now, the Israelites are kind of used to God doing some amazing things. These are the people that actually came out, you know, they were under Pharaoh's leadership. And they were you know, actually able to get out from underneath you know, him and not being slaves anymore through a series of miracles. The whole dead frogs thing, if you remember. The blood in the river. And then the, the, the firstborn and the Passover, if you remember any of these things. These people, the Israelites, are kind of used to miracles. They also were the ones that were, you know, they watched as when they needed water, Moses went up to the rock and smacked the rock and water came out of the rock. These are the people that were being led by a cloud. These are the people that were being fed by manna every day. And this has been happening for 40 years. So these people are used to miracles. At the same time, if I'm an Israelite and I'm told to stand and wait, and that once these priests step into the water, the waters are going to stop, well, until I see that, it probably makes me a little bit nervous because I know I have to cross that river. We'll come back to that in a minute and kind of talk a little bit more about how that might apply to our lives. So verse 14, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up on a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerethan. Now Adam, that... That area is about 15 to 20 miles away, so obviously it cut off quite a ways. But of course, if you think about how many people had to cross, they obviously needed quite a bit of land. It's not like they could cross all in like a two-feet section. I mean, consider when you're leaving the Metrodome after like a, a football game and how much, you know, how much time it takes to get out of there. Well, obviously a couple of million, it's going to take them a while, right? And if they only have one place to go down. So the water had to be cut off kind of a ways up. And Adam, which was about 15, 20 miles away, was the place where it stopped. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. They're used to miracles. They were told, once you see that Ark of the Covenant, don't stand too close to it, but follow it. And then they were told, once the priests step in that water, 
the water is going to be cut off, and then you're going to be allowed to cross. And it happened. Now, I haven't seen too many miracles like this. Normally, when I step to a river, even if I put my foot in, I kind of wade in a little bit, the water doesn't usually stop. So, as I look at, and I, as I thought this week about how this might apply to us personally or us as a church, I'm trying to get a feel for what might be miraculous to us. If we are the Israelites as a church, or personally, if we're one of those Israelites, how do we see miracles happen in our lives? Because I think there are a lot, there's a lot of symbolism in here that we can kind of parallel to our church as well as to us personally. And what kind of kept coming back to me is that the Jordan was the challenge. The Jordan was what they needed to get across. So as a church, are we going to have those challenges? What is going to be our Jordan? And as people, as individuals, what are the challenges in our lives? They're going to be you know, difficult for us to get across. What do we need to get across? Because as we look at all in, fierce follow-through, we have to get across that Jordan. So taking a look at the Israelites, what did they have to do to get across that Jordan? Well, there are three things that happened. There are three things that we need to kind of take out of this story and have to apply to our lives, either corporately as a church or individually as people. And the first thing is the people were told to wait for the Ark of the Covenant. Essentially, oh, wow, having a good time back there. Essentially, they were told to wait for God to be out front. And this is important because the ark for them was a symbol of God. The ark for them was like everything. In it housed the Ten Commandments. This was their law. This was their foundation. God was going to move out in front of them. And they had to know that ark was going to lead them. They had to know that God who had provided for them, God who had protected them, God who had led them, would still be there. If they were just told to go ahead, the river's going to be done, you know, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., by the way, that's going to be really dry, just go ahead and cross the Jordan. Well, there's no sense of God leading them, if that was the case. They needed to feel that. The ark was going to go ahead of them. In our own lives, you know, I need to feel God out in front of me at times even though there might be some unknowns in my life and some challenges, to know that God is out in front gives me a sense of confidence that it's going to be okay, that I'm going to be able to get over this challenge. Whatever that challenge might be, as a church, we are going to have some challenges. We're just kind of getting started here. And those challenges are going to take different forms. Volunteers to do various things. Set up, take down, children's ministry. We just heard today about Ann Fleming who was able to come in and help us out in the area of children's ministry. That was kind of a challenge. In other ways, finding people to go ahead and do ministry to different areas of this community, to be able to reach out to the elementary school across the street or the different communities that we see around us. There are some challenges there. That's, as a church, that's our Jordan. And to see God out in front is important for us. The second thing is, and this is what the Israelites probably had gotten maybe kind of used to, that maybe we need to start getting used to, they were told to consecrate themselves or be ready. Now, I'm not telling you to stop having sex. 
I'm not saying that, married couples. <laughs> but what I'm telling you is that in the same way that the Israelites were told to consecrate themselves, in a way we can do that too. This was less of a physical preparation as much as it was a spiritual preparation, kind of preparing their hearts for something to happen, for a miracle to take place. And as a community, we have to be prepared for whatever comes our way. A number of years ago, um, many years ago, I was in ninth grade, and I was kind of a, I was kind of a basketball junkie. I played a lot of basketball. I was going to basketball games. One of my favorite games to always go to was our high school team's game. When I went to Irondale High School, at that time, Irondale was pretty good. I have no idea if they're any good right now, but at that time, they were pretty good. And our arch rival was always Moundsview. Moundsview High School, we're the sister schools in the same school district. So every chance that we had to go and beat their brains out, we took advantage of it. And so going to those games was a lot of fun. It was high energy. And this game happened to be on a Friday night, and Irondale was pretty good that year. We were better the previous year. We were pretty good, but Moundsview was very good. So we were going over to Moundsview High School. We were kind of expecting to be able to, you know, kind of take them down a little bit, as we always wanted to do. And the gym was packed. People had to, you know, it was standing room only. They had actually stopped letting people come in because there were too many people that were already in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the gym. And I remember watching and being really excited, and the game was going on. And one of the players for Irondale, his name was Dan Erickson, and Dan Erickson was about 6'1", 6'2", could jump out of the gym. He was actually a high jumper. And at one point in the first quarter, I remember watching Dan go up for a rebound. And as he jumped so high, the person that, was, that he was trying to block out from Moundsview kind of stepped in a little bit and clipped his feet. So Dan's feet were right about here, and the player kind of stepped in a little bit. So Dan, of course, was off balance and went backwards. And as everybody's watching, Dan went backwards and landed on his head. And the entire gym went quiet. Nobody moved except for one person, and that person was his mom. And we watched, because of course nothing's moving except for this one person who is literally pushing people out of the way to get down to her son, and she happened to be a, uh, an emergency room nurse. And she went down there and immediately, starting to do first aid, kind of immediately found out that his heart had stopped beating and that he wasn't breathing and immediately started CPR. And there was a doctor in the audience who had come down and was also helping out, and of course the trainer was there too. And as they worked on Dan, what struck me was how prepared she was and how ready she was for that moment. I don't think she was expecting that to happen, but she was ready. Was she expecting that it would be her son? Probably not. Was she expecting to have to do CPR that night? Probably not. But she was ready for it. And in my life, I think about that moment every time I have to take first aid classes to uh, keep my teaching and coaching license up. But she was ready. And it was for her, it was obviously not just a physical preparation. It's also kind of a mental preparation because she knew what to do. And in the, life, in the lives of these Israelites, they had to be ready. Joshua was telling them, consecrate yourselves. Be ready because something's going to happen. In our church, I think what we need to do is we need to be ready for those things that are going to happen around us that might, you know, that might 
turn us in a certain direction. Maybe there's something happening in the community that we need to fill a need for. But we have to be ready for it. And being ready for us might mean prayer. It might mean joining a small group. It might mean making sure to be a part of something and serving in some way. But we need to be ready, both physically and spiritually. The Israelites had to be ready. We have to be ready. Individually, I don't know what you have to be ready for because I don't know what your Jordan is. I don't know what those challenges are in your life. But being ready spiritually is important. Bathing everything in prayer is important. The third thing that we have to do is to take kind of a a very obvious step of faith, just like the priest did. Sometimes we have to wade out into that water a little bit. Depending on what that challenge is in our lives and depending on what our Jordan and what we have to cross, we have to take that step. And sometimes that step is going to be an unknown one. God could be out in front leading us and telling us, and we feel we're, we need to go in that direction. But it's taking that step that sometimes is the most awkward and sometimes is the most, I don't know, difficult. But moving in that direction, that is our move. and We have to move sometimes for God to then provide the miracle. Individually, I don't know what your challenge is. But I know for me in my life, there have been a number of them in the area of faith. And the most extreme one for me was probably in about my mid-20s, was simply giving money to the church. Now, um, I don't know if you know anything about teaching, but I don't necessarily make, you know, the millions of dollars that I think a lot of people assume we make. And when I renegotiate my contract, I don't get a signing bonus. And at that time, I was certainly paying for the apartment that I was living in and the car that I had just purchased, because, of course, you get a new job, you've got to buy a car, right? You can't buy a used one. You, of course, had to buy a new one. But anyways, bygones. So I had the apartment to pay for. I had the car to pay for. I had insurance, because, of course, you need health insurance for some reason. And then there was also college loans that I was still paying back. Got to... You know, you got to buy food, you got to eat. There has to be entertainment dollars because I wasn't going to give up going to movies. And then in all this, you know, there's that little voice inside me saying, you need to give to the church. Now, I started doing the math. Of course, I have three people in my life that are accountants in my direct life, my dad, my brother, and my sister. And so they would all take a look at my finances at that time, and they'd put it on a spreadsheet for me, and at the end, where there was like a negative number, they would say, that's not good. (laughs) So there seemed to be so many priorities in my life at that time that were kind of taking those dollars from me. My Jordan was figuring out that at some point, I needed to figure out a way to balance that so that I could start giving money. Because that sacrifice for that, at that time for me was huge. That was me saying, God, I trust you. And, that's, and that was hard. That was, I would say, that was nearly impossible for me. Because, you know, I hadn't really had a whole lot of money before. And you're in college, you don't have any money. You, first couple of years out of college when you don't really have the job that you want to have. And once you get it, now you're saying to yourself, all right, I have a job. I'm making some money and I have nothing available at the end of the month. And then I heard a, 
uh, message, and it was kind of it's kind of funny as I'm listening to Rob talk during the announcements, because it was kind of that same message about giving, and that is it's kind of a challenge. And I heard a message. I can't remember what church I was at at the time that I listened to this, but the message was sometimes you have to step out in faith and start giving first and kind of challenge God to make those changes in your heart and for me in my checkbook. And so I did. I did it carefully at first. That first you know, paycheck that I got, I kind of gave a little amount. It certainly wasn't anywhere near a tithe. But at that point, I was still looking to the end of my paycheck. I was still looking to the end of that two weeks and trying to figure out how much money might there be extra that then I can give to God, but I'll give it right now. So I just gave a little bit. Nothing in my life really changed. At the end of the month, I was short almost always exactly that amount. And again, my brother and sister and dad said, that's still not good. So then what I had to do is I had to start rethinking this. I had to start thinking of taking that step of faith. Instead of taking the step of faith, looking ahead to to what might be negative, I had to take a step of faith not really knowing what was going to happen. And I did. And the first month that I did it, I felt awesome for a couple of days until I got my car payment due. And then I was like, what did I do? But yet somehow it worked out. For me, that was my challenge. To this day, I just blindly, you could say kind of ignorantly at time, regardless of what I have to pay that, those two weeks or that month, I just send my money. And this is not meant to be a talk on, on please give. This is a talk on taking a step of faith. Because for some of you, instead of maybe you know tithing, maybe you got that all covered, maybe for you it's reconciling with a relative. Maybe there's someone in your life that you've held a grudge against or has a grudge against you that you refuse to take that step and make that phone call. And maybe for you, it's walking across the street to a neighbor who you know needs some help. Maybe it's taking that that kind of that leap of faith to go over there and knock on their door and just invite them to dinner. Maybe you feel in your heart God telling you to go to seminary and all you have to do is fill out that application. Maybe it's God telling you that you need to step out in faith at work. And instead of kind of engaging in the kind of conversation that you know most people would see non-Christians engaging in, maybe you need to stop that. I've certainly been there. I teach at a school now. I don't have to worry about it, but I have not always taught in a private Christian school. But whatever that is, whatever that challenge for you is for you in your life, you can be prepared. You can see God telling you what to do. But the bottom line is that first move, that first step has got to be yours. And you've got to let God follow with the miracle. Things in my life don't get perfect and they don't automatically just all fall in line because you take one step. Because after you take that one step, you have to follow through. And you have to continue that step. And for the Israelites, especially for the Levites, who were the people carrying the ark, They had to step into that water. Were they told that God would stop the waters? Yes. But you have to realize, taking that step up right up to the water, God hadn't done it yet. The miracle was still waiting for them to take that step. And certainly for the Israelites that are behind them, if I'm one of those people, I'm thinking, I'm glad I'm not a Levite. (laughs) Because they're the ones that have to step out. But at times, I think we all have to be the Levites. 
And we have to take that step. We have to kind of wade into that water a little bit, regardless of it's individually or whether it's as a church, reaching out to different places in our community, serving, joining small groups, becoming a part of the, the setup team, whatever that is for you. Sometimes those small steps are the hardest. But then if you follow that through, if you have that fierce follow-through, it becomes easier. The Israelites did it. They were able to cross the Jordan. We read that in verse 17. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completing the crossing on dry ground. In that one sentence, as simple as that seems, realize how many people had to cross. That river was raging before those Levites stepped into it. Sometimes those challenges in our lives are raging until we step into it a little bit and step into it with faith, knowing that God is before us and that we are prepared. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the people that are in this room. Thank you for their hearts and their souls and their minds. Thank you for the gifts and abilities that you've given them. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who goes before us and that you are a God that will be with us and guide us and protect us. Lord, I just ask this week that we begin to think and look around our, our lives at what, what our challenges might be. Where do we need to cross our Jordan? We ask that you be with us and that when we take that step of faith, Lord, that we take it confidently, knowing that you are there and that you are with us. Pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.